0: Paul's advice to the Christian community is forgive. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. My husband Keith and I met in college and we dated for a few years before I declared that I wanted to go to seminary and become a preacher. Shortly after that declaration, we broke up. You see, I think Keith was afraid that going to seminary would change me, that I would try to become a super-Christian. Now, after Keith and I were married for a few years and I had been to seminary, I think he realized that that fear was completely unfounded. In fact, he's never said this, but if forced, he might say that I didn't try hard enough to become a super-Christian. You know, when we enter into any relationship that goes beyond a level of superficiality, it doesn't matter who it's with, Christian or super-Christian, when we go down deeper, we are given the opportunity to forgive. Paul knew that. You and I know that. That when we enter into a relationship of depth, when we really see each other, we see each other's imperfections and we hurt one another both intentionally and unintentionally. And Paul's advice for relationships of depth was to forgive. I saw this week on the television, Susie Orman, and her advice to consumers in this troubled time is that if you can't afford it, for heaven's sake, she says, don't buy it. If you can't afford it, put it back. And I know that forgiveness can be an expensive endeavor. So I want to talk with you for a few minutes about the cost of forgiveness before we decide if this is a purchase that we want to make. Gerald Sitzer says that forgiveness is required in any situation that we find ourselves in where we feel wronged, and we could take a completely impartial person, put that put them in that situation and they would feel as hurt as we feel so forgiveness is not about immature blunders or irritations or inexperience these things happen in our daily lives and we just need to give each other room to be human but instead forgiveness is required when we can take someone else put them in our shoes and they would feel as wronged as we feel Now, I see that there is power in a situation like that. Because when I'm wronged like that, well, that means that I'm right. And I like to be right. Righteous anger is a very comfortable place for me. I can tell a story in great detail using very descriptive words about how I was wronged, about how I was a complete innocent victim. And that the wronging of me was unprecedented and unwarranted. Dr. Fred Luskin, in his book, Forgive for Good, says that when we tell a story like that, we've created what he calls a grievance story or a grudge story. And it's not so important that we create a grievance story. What's important, what's significant is what we do with that grievance story, what we do with that grudge he illustrates this point by talking about a woman named Charlene, and he says that anyone upon meeting Charlene and visiting with her for 30 minutes would hear about her terrible ex-husband, that you would hear about how he lied to her, how he cheated on her, how he made her life a living hell, and that Charlene had the uncanny ability to listen to conversations that were going on around her and that she could hone in on any conversation about an insensitive or uncaring person and use that as an opportunity to talk about her ex-husband. Now, it wasn't that Charlene was wrong. In fact, Charlene was right. The guy was a jerk. But really, did being right do her any good? It wasn't that the guy had walked out on her just yesterday. The guy had left her. They'd been divorced for five years. I see that when we enter into this process of forgiveness, we give up the right to be right. I also see in forgiveness we give up the right to control. We give up the right to get even. Now, I know that the Bible says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I often hear people quote that particular scripture passage with the understanding that God would have them exact an equal revenge from the person who wronged them. When I believe that that particular scripture passage was written to restrain unlimited revenge... It was written to say, not more than an eye for an eye, not more than a tooth for a tooth. If somebody steals your ox, fine, take their ox, but don't take their life as well. And then when Jesus quoted this particular Old Testament passage, he then used that Old Testament passage, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, to jump into a new teaching. And the new teaching was if somebody strikes your right cheek give them your left cheek as well. If someone sues you for the shirt off your back, give them your coat also. If a Roman soldier demands that you carry his equipment for a mile, Jesus said, carry it too. Give up control. Sitzer says that this is about letting God be God. I don't know about you, but I find that to be rather difficult. Because God doesn't often deal with people as I would have God deal with people. It's not unheard of to hear about a spouse that was unfaithful in their first marriage and has a second marriage, that that person has a second marriage that is genuinely happy. It's not unheard of to hear of an incompetent boss who is promoted. But in circles of the faithful... We have to admit that it is also not unheard of to hear a story of a person who has managed to survive an evil and turned that evil into good. And that's the story of Joseph in Genesis. Remember that story? Joseph uh, is sold into slavery by his brothers. And Joseph suffers for years because of this betrayal. Joseph is imprisoned, he's wrongly accused, Joseph is enslaved, and at the end of this story in Genesis, when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, he says to them, you intended this for harm, but God intended this for good, in order to preserve a numerous people, as God is doing today. You see, God worked through those struggles that Joseph had, those wrongs that Joseph suffered to provide for the community that surrounded Joseph during a famine. We do give up the right to be right. We do give up the right to control as we hand things over to God in forgiveness. And I think the third cost of forgiveness is the cost of time. And this is a cost that is often overlooked. Because I think it's a common misconception that people have That when we make that decision to turn things, to turn a situation, to turn a person over to God, that we feel like immediately we will be given a sense of peace, a sense of well-being for the person who wronged us. While this sometimes happens, more often than not it doesn't happen. I see that forgiveness is a process. That God takes a period of time. To rewrite our story to help us to rewrite that story that is that was a grievance that was a grudge and turn that story into a story of triumph but you know while forgiveness is very costly I believe that as Christians our account has been given a boost because we know a thing or two about forgiveness don't we We know what it is to be imperfect and yet accepted. We know what it is to make mistakes and be understood. That is part and parcel of who we are. It is an important, significant part of our identity. When Jesus wanted to teach the most important thing about himself to his disciples, he didn't write out a theological paper to give to them. He didn't preach a grand sermon, but instead he gathered them for an experience, an experience of the Passover meal. And during that meal, we are told that Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is my life given for you. This is a new covenant between God and you for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, as humans, we know that forgiveness is costly. But as Christians, we know that forgiveness is valuable. I am from time to time asked my advice on how to choose a good church. And I think my advice has changed over the years. I used to side with the conventional wisdom. I used to tell people, well, find a church community that has a pastor whose personality you like. Find a a church community who has programs that match your interests. My advice has changed a bit. I would now tell somebody new to town, find a church that has church leaders who are spiritually and emotionally mature, and then stay there. When your interests change, stay there. When you're wronged, Stay there. You see, I don't think that it was Paul's intention to raise up a church of strong consumers. No, I think it was Paul's intention to raise up a church of strong forgivers. I've seen it work both ways. I've seen people over the past 11 years in this congregation be wronged and leave this church to go to another church. And then I've watched them leave that church to go to another church. But I've also seen people in this congregation be wronged. And I've advised them to leave this place, to go find a place that would be better to them. But they've stayed. They've stayed in the church to experience the fellowship and to experience forgiveness. You know, I can testify to you this morning that there is nothing no thing that will stunt the growth of a soul like being wronged I've watched people walk down the center aisle of this church out the doors and rightfully so they've walked out and they haven't come back but I've also watched people in this church do something different And I can testify to you that nothing, no thing in heaven or earth will provide spiritual depth and spiritual wisdom like being wronged. Oh, you say you're looking for spiritual growth? There's no Bible study. There's no worship service. There's no coffee shop. There's no Sunday school class that's going to provide you the opportunity for growth like forgiveness. This, my friends, is our chance.